Welcome to Finding Certainty with your host and U.S. Army veteran, Patrick Lang. Over the next hour, you'll learn from Patrick and his expert guests how to attract more certainty into your business and your life. Now, here is your host, Patrick Lang. Welcome back to Finding Certainty, everyone. It's a nice uh, Friday morning here in Henderson, Nevada. We're kind of covering both sides of the country, aren't we, Regal? Yeah. Our, my guest today is Regal Nassif. She's calling in from, from Maine. And tell us what town you live in exactly. Uh, it's called Scarborough, about 15, 20 minutes uh, south of Portland, Maine. All right. Well, really appreciate you being here this morning, Regal. Uh, I'm excited to talk about uh, our topic, or you are the expert, and uh, we're doing some uh, exciting things together as part of our consulting firm, Certainty Management. So you have the distinction of being the second guest next to Victoria Foster, who is actually from the Certainty team. Uh, we haven't had a lot of our, our uh, team members on the call. Um, so you're in good company with you and Victoria, the two powerhouse women of our team, two of the, uh, you know, two of the many, but uh, really appreciate well, you uh, being well, here. Well, Liz, Liz Deal is kind of a big deal, too. I'm going to just throw <laughs> right out there. Absolutely. We put you three together and uh, uh, Jill McCauley and Gabrielle Taub and Sue Lang. I mean, we have, I think the women are leading the pack here at, at Certainty, but... Well, what's um, it to like? Right, right. Exactly. In that, in that group. So we um, we always start the show out. If you've uh, been listening, if you're new to the uh, Finding Certainty family, but I always start the show out by sharing a couple of reasons why I've invited this specific guest to be with us. And uh, in Regal's case, it really comes down to two main things. Number one, she is a consummate fundraiser, grant writer, nonprofit advocate. I mean, we're going to talk a little bit about her background and how she really has led the way in the state of Maine and in the Northeast uh, in her fundraising efforts and what she's done to help various organizations. She has some amazing stories that we'll, we'll dig into throughout this session. The second piece, though, is Regal is a great example of someone who is reinventing herself as an entrepreneur, having worked in corporate America, worked for nonprofits and other things over the last many years, how she is making that transition to being her own boss. And I think she's a great example of someone who maybe doesn't have years and years of sales experience, doesn't have years of business ownership experience, but she is tackling that, uh, that challenge and doing an amazing job at it. And just, I'm so proud of you, Regal. We're very, very honored to have you on our team and seeing everything you are learning and becoming and, and so forth. So, so let's jump into it. Um, really appreciate you being here. Thanks for uh, uh, taking, uh, taking your time. You're not up as early as I am. I know it's about noon out there in Maine, but, um, but why don't we start by just telling us a little bit about yourself. Tell us where you grew up and your family background. Obviously. Um, We've got a lot to cover, so we better do this in sound bites. But um, tell us a little bit about who is uh, uh, Regal Nassif, and and your your legal name is actually Lisa, but you go by Regal. So I think we need yeah. to talk about that a little bit. It's a Regal is a derivative of my last name, which was Regalman. So one day I was walking ah. up the hall in high school, and my girlfriend said, "Hey, Regal, you know, like the guys call each other by their last name in the locker room." Well. 
that was she coined it and then everybody just called me that for the rest of my life that's so, great that's why i named my company regal resource development so that you know it, it used the the derivative of my last name um but basically i grew up mostly in upstate new york born at wright patterson air force base my father was in the air force um my father extremely funny my mother extremely smart she was one of the first and only women in a small group to get into cornell in her day at a young age um and hence she uh, pushed me ahead in school a little bit but i'll say this um i thought i was pretty dumb <laughs> i really i really did most of my childhood i thought that i really was not that smart and that is partly because i have an older brother and a younger sister and i am a middle child and shout out to all you middle children out there who get ignored okay <laughs> i'm with i feel you um but they both are what i would classify or call um genius level in specific fields my brother was a math genius and my sister was a linguistics genius she speaks multiple languages fluently and i was just sort of in the middle without any one specific thing you know that i did well and that mm -hmm. feeling like i just didn't have my identity yet or what i felt special or purposeful with so my mother was very smart as i keep saying and she sat me down one day when i was really frustrated by this and she taught me about the seven forms of intelligence so i'm just telling you this so it might help somebody else out there listening i would recommend you do this with your middle school or teenagers um she did this with me and i got literally got up from that table and i felt like a different person um she said there's artistic hmm. intelligence interpersonal intelligence spatial intelligence it's not just mathematical or academic or you know so so you have kind of more of the pieces of the pie in some ways relational intelligence and or social intelligence but yet you're not sort of at the edge of one of those pieces of the pie is kind of what she taught me so interesting it it really was life changing and the other thing you should know about my childhood and that'll be that and then we'll get into my my old age now which is like the country song says i ain't as good as i once was but i'm as good once as i ever was um <laughs> getting back to my childhood um i was an exchange student to paris when i was 15 years old so i'm over there and i'm extremely frustrated that i can't speak french fluently and i'm just sort of i'm dreaming in french but i'm not really saying things right as a matter of fact i mean i got story after story but i went to the louvre they were all working and they dropped me off to just walk around the louvre you know the one of the greatest museums in the world by myself and i'm walking around and i there was a young guard there and i said um okay i got to speak french i got to do it right so i walked up to him and i said is excusez-moi monsieur pouvez-vous me voir en exhibition and he said attendez un moment and i he said wait a minute and he left and i waited there i thought i did something wrong and he brought all the other young guards the young men back to that same spot and he said dit encore say it again and i said 
excusez-moi, monsieur, pouvez-vous me voir une exhibition? I wanted to know what the exhibition was, the special exhibition, the art exhibition, is what we call it in English. And they all were roaring with laughter. And he said, do you know what you asked me? And I said, no. And he said, you asked me to take my clothes off. <laughs> he said, give me an give me an exposition, like take take your clothes <laughs> off. So I tell the story. This is how dumb I thought I was, you know, like I just couldn't get anything right. And so so basically um, when I was very, very shy in school and you're not going to believe this, Patrick, you're going to go shut the front door. There's just no way you were shy. I was extremely shy and I would never raise my hand in school. I would never speak in class ever. I just, I wouldn't do it. I would never talk. As a matter of fact, my mother went to a conference and the teacher said, oh, you're the mother of the daughter that never speaks. That's, that's what it was. But at 15, I'm in Paris and I'm frustrated. I can't speak my voice. So on the airplane flying home from Paris to New York, it was where I grew up in upstate New York. Um, on the airplane, I made a decision. I am going to change my personality. That That's it. I don't want to be this way anymore. I got off the airplane and my mother said, I haven't shut up since. <laughs> I just, I, I just tell stories. I talk. I'm, I'm the first to speak. I'm, you know, I've been, I was a corporate trainer and pre teaching presentation skills to corporate managers all over the country. You know, what a change. And I just made a decision to do it. So wow. that's kind that's of a great story. Me. That says that's a lot about you, Rigo, because, you know, you're, <laughs> as I've gotten to know you, you're this really unique combination, in my opinion, of a great conversationalist. And yet you're also humble. You know, you're not overbearing. You're not boisterous or you know, in your face, but you're just really good at conversating and sharing stories and connecting with people. You know, I think you've transitioned, you know, from that shy girl to a confident woman. And yet you still re you've still retained some of that humility and some of that, you know, etiquette and so forth that a lot of people don't have, you know, so well, that's because I that had be many my, years uh, of my assessment. Low, yeah, many years of lower self-esteem will do that. We'll do that to you. <laughs> but I, I did take a course in miracles, uh, Marianne Williamson's work. Um, I did take it. And basically, it's about the elimination of ego, actually. Wow. And I've been, I've been actually spending decades trying to do that. I will have to say I have not succeeded. I don't think you can really remove your ego completely. I think you have to have some ego in order to kind of function. But um, I've certainly reduced the need for me to deal with, you know, talk about myself. I really just like to help other people is really where, where my head space is at. Well, that was the uh, first thing that jumped out at me about you. You know, we were introduced through a, a mutual friend, um, you know, a friend who is uh, involved in the sex trafficking, anti-sex trafficking industry. And uh, we were introduced to her through Operation Underground Railroad, who we're big fans of. And I got to know, you know, I just got a message from this lady I didn't know. Was, we referred to her by OUR, and she said, you've got to meet Regal Nassif. You know, the, this is the lady you need to meet. If you want to do good and do work in the nonprofit arena, 
she's, <clears throat> I think she says she's the man. <laughs> but uh, uh, at the time, I understood what she was saying. She says she is, she is the, she's the bomb, I think is what she said. <laughs> so, so let's talk about, uh, let's jump ahead into your professional career. Because this first little segment before our break, we always focus on you and then we take a little break and then we're going to get into what you do and how you do it. And uh, but let's talk about this transition. You know, I don't know if you knew this, but my mom was born at Wright Patterson Field as well. You guys have that in common. Oh my goodness. Um, I knew I yeah. loved her. Okay. All right. <laughs> so yeah. So you went, where'd you go to college and how did you get into your career and where did it, how did it evolve? So because of my mother pushing us ahead in school. And so I had to follow the geniuses and didn't want to be following the geniuses. Um, I was 16 years old when I was finishing high school and my father got transferred, corporate transfer across the country. And for all those millennials listening, we didn't have video chat or cell phones. I couldn't afford a flight. So I've basically been living on my own since I was 16. And um, it was kind of like the movie Flashdance where you sort of live in a warehouse without furniture. I did that the last summer before I drove myself to college. I went to Ithaca College, by the way, and I had to pick my major at 15, which was not easy, not easy to figure out who you are and what you want to do at 15, but I did. I was at the time a television, radio, film major um, and ended up working at WGBH where Sesame Street is produced and that kind of stuff. Hmm. But uh, so here I am at 16 and... um, it was about the middle of my senior year and my dad said, you know, I'm going to, they're going to announce where I get transferred pretty soon by December and I'm going to have to go immediately. And he said, you're, you know, you all come with me. And, you know, and I said, dad, it's, I've only got a half a year left. I shook my, I put my hand out to shake his, I go, it's been really nice being raised by you, (laughs) But, but I think this is the end of the road. And I just lived alone pretty much, you know, the rest of that time and then drove myself to college. So it, it was scary. I, I didn't see my family for more than about a week a year for, you wow. know, until I was an older adult. Wow. Um, yeah. So Incredible. basically I know. I another totally thing you know. have, another thing you have in common with Sue is she, she left high school early. She, she jokes that she's a high school dropout that went on to become a college you know, instructor <laughs> She's a high school dropout with a master's degree, you know, but uh, she left early because mostly she was just bored. You know, she she was ready to get to get on with her life. And so I know. So so I have this dream. So this is an important piece because apparently I'm, I'm intuitive and I didn't know it. And I have this dream and it's so real that I went to school and I told all my friends, well, my dad is moving to Wisconsin. Um, and that's it. We had spaghetti last night. He told us he's moving to Wisconsin and I'm just, I'm going to stay here by myself. And they were all like, wow, that's incredible. And, and then, so the next, so that afternoon I came home, I told my mom, yeah, when dad came home last night and he said, we had, you know, when we had spaghetti and we're moving to Wisconsin. And she said, honey, we didn't have spaghetti last night. He didn't say we're moving to Wisconsin. We don't know where we're moving yet. You told all your friends that? You go back and tell them that you lied. I go, well, no, it happened. It actually happened. And she said, that was a dream. So 
we let it go. And a couple weeks later, my father came home. We had some other chicken for dinner. And he said, I got my assignment. We're moving to Minnesota. And my mother and I just looked at each other. There's 50 states. We ran to an atlas. And she goes, you, my dear, are a borderline psychic. That's that's how powerful that dream was. She said, You're the Minnesota Twin Cities, Minneapolis, Minnesota, is on the Wisconsin, Minnesota border. And I just had the dream, and there's 50 states, and I that's where we were going. Whoa. Yeah, very close. That's interesting. Yeah. Well, we've got about two minutes till break, so tell us in 60 seconds oh, okay. your 60 professional seconds career here. leading up to fundraising we'll talk to in the next section more about yeah i know so i basically know. got a bachelor's and a masters i was too young to drink so i was afraid to get a corporate job and not be able to drink with everybody and tell everybody so um my advisor gave me the best advice of my life she said stay one more year and get a masters degree and just get it done now so that i could be old enough to drink when I went to work. <laughs> I don't know if that's the best reason to get a master's degree, but okay. <laughs> Whatever works, right? She said, you know, later the baby will be crying and you'll have a mortgage. And she said, do it now. That's what she said. That's good advice. So that's that's how I ended up with that. And my master's is in organizational development, which really has helped me a lot and played out in a lot of the work that I've done. I so bet I'll it leave has. It well, we're visiting with Regal Nassif. She's the owner of Regal Resource Development and is a an expert in fundraising, in grant writing. And and really she's a, she's been a nonprofit advocate for many, many years, 25 plus years now. And so when we come back from the break, we're going to talk a little bit about what she's doing to help nonprofits, some of the stories that she, experiences she's had which are extraordinary and what she's doing today. So uh, thanks for being with us, Regal. Thanks for being here. We will be right back. Certainty management can help create more certainty in your life with our deep discount health insurance options, even for 1099s, part-time employees, volunteers, and more. Pay less to protect yourself, your loved ones, and your team. Call 888-684-3122 for a free quote today. That's 888-684-3122. Visit us on the web at CertaintyTeam.com. That's Certainty, T-E-A-M, like Mary, dot com. If you're a nonprofit in need of funding, we can help. Certainty Management is a cost reduction firm that also helps churches, schools, sports teams, and other nonprofits raise unlimited zero cost funding. Best of all, you don't have to sell anything or ask for donations. Call 888 684 3122 to learn more today. That's 888 684 3122. Visit us on the web at certaintyteam.com. That's certainty, T E A M, like Mary.com. Voice America Business Network, the bottom line in business. You are listening to Finding Certainty with Patrick Lang. Have a question for Patrick or his guests? Join us on the show 
at 866-472-5790. That's 866-472-5790. Now, back to the show with Patrick. Welcome back to Finding Certainty. If you are a new listener, we encourage you to go back and listen to past episodes as well. Our entire theme here is about how business, nonprofits, and all of us, in order to thrive, we need to be willing to change. We need to be willing to evolve and uh, consider new approaches, new relationships, new technologies. And most importantly, we need to work together to do that. Uh, our guest today, Regal Nassif, is a great example of that. She's a phenomenal collaborator and advocate and and uh, really becoming a phenomenal business owner, uh, using all of her experience and applying some new skills, learning some new things. I'm, I've just been really impressed. So, Regal, thanks again for being here. I'm enjoying the conversation. Me too. So we talked a little bit about your upbringing and your uh, college years. You started college really early. Uh, you have some similarities to, to my own mom, as I was telling you. And and uh, if you're on the YouTube video, uh, you can hear some of the dialogue we have in between the uh, in between the breaks. But we were talking a little bit more about that uh, while we were waiting to come back. But um, let's talk. Let's let's get into how you got into nonprofit work because you you. You started as a corporate, I mean, you worked as a corporate trainer in some other areas. But let's talk about that transition now and what you are recognized as, as an expert. Okay. Um, it, it, there was a delay, so I had to wait and make sure, make sure you were done there. Um, I think what I'm going to answer with that is my why. I, I ask people in every business meeting I have, I say, what's your charity of choice and what's your why? I, um, I, I always want that's my that's my go to question. So since I moved uh, around to different places where I didn't have any family and friends, um, in many cases, as a very small child, but then older, um, I would be in towns where I didn't know a single soul kind of thing. I moved to Maine uh, and I found myself uh, with my second pregnancy, which is a temporary condition because it's nine months, right? Right. Well, for me, it was quite a life-changing, traumatic pregnancy. Um, it was my second son. Um, and I had a condition that uh, only 10% of pregnant women have. It's called hyperemesis gravidorum. And it is torturous nausea, not morning sickness. It's all the time. And... Mm. It really, it's, it's, it's at that level. It's just really difficult. Um, I didn't want to take any medicines for it because, you know, I thought that that would hurt the baby. So I thought I was just going to have to suffer through it kind of thing. And it led me to ketosis, which is where your body eats its own muscle mass. And I basically was dying like somebody in a developing country who can't eat would die. So I've I've experienced what I call near death. My family might think I'm exaggerating, but I was written up in a local newspaper as the worst pregnancy in the state that they could that they knew about because really? I had to borrow a cane from a 94-year-old uh, neighbor of mine to walk around and 
then I was in a wheelchair for about six months. And that was from sciatic nerve damage. So I was basically dying. I hired a lawyer to write my will and testament. And I thought, I don't think I'm, I don't think I'm make it because, you know, this is pretty much it. So having that experience, um, I had to hire a nurse to take care of me. I didn't have any friends and family in Maine. So I, you know, didn't, there was really not a lot of support. And I want to tell you, because you are such an expert at sales, and I've learned so much from you, my favorite sales story in history that I've ever heard, I was walking with the cane in order to get donations for charities of a hot tub place. And I still remember the guy's name um, because it's been 20 some odd, 30 years, but and I really, I was in pain. I was nauseous. My face, I was gaunt, was losing weight, pregnant. And I walked in with a cane up to the desk to get the donation. And he said, oh, no, 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 no. He said, "This you're doing this for charity as a volunteer? I said, yeah, we just need a donation of a hot tub certificate. And he says, no, I'm going to give you the hot tub certificate, but I'm also going to give you a hot tub. I said, excuse me? And he said, I want you to call your doctor. It's going to be dropped off on a forklift. Give me your address right now, tomorrow. And I need you to check with your doctor to set it at what's the body temperature, 98.6 or whatever it is, uh, to make sure that it's not too hot, of course. And I want you to use it for hydrotherapy. You're in extreme. I was screaming in pain walking to his desk. I mean, I was really having trouble. So he said, and that's it. And that just during your pregnancy, I want you to have it. And then it's just really nice to meet you, what you're doing for charity. Hmm. I couldn't believe it. So the forklift came, hot tub got dropped off. Five hours a day of hydrotherapy. He saved my life because I was trying to tough it out on my own. He saved Mm -hmm. my life. And guess who bought a hot tub at the end of nine months? Right. I'm sure you did. Right. I bought it from him. Of course I did. Because and I said to him, that was the kindest, most heroic sales gesture about giving first in order to make a sale that I have ever seen. So I just wanted to share that with with the expert on sales. Um, I'm sure you have a a million more like that. So basically, so, so question real quick. I, that's my then. why. That's my why of why I got into nonprofits. And I immediately went to a teenage homeless pregnancy shelter and I volunteered my services of writing and raising money and advocating and getting donations. Um, and that's my mentor. She's in her late 80s. That's Dawn Dagenhart, who founded Maine Adoption Placement Service and had a shelter for teenage pregnant girls. And she's still my mentor today. Um, she has been to the White House with Maya Angelou and um, Paul Newman, winning the Caring Award, America's Caring Award. Hmm. Um, and she opened up Russian adoption in the United States uh, for the first time. She, like your mom, I wanted to share this, has nine adopted children of all races from different countries. Um, that she raised. And it's very much reminded me of your family, Patrick, the Lang family. And you Mm -hmm. can explain what that means. Um, And so 
I really resonated with you and your family when I heard that. That's really neat. Uh, Regal says that because I have a sister who's adopted from Korea and a brother from Samoa. We have uh, lots of nieces and nephews. My sister's husband is black, so you can imagine our family picture looks like the colors of Benetton or the United Nations. And it was a great way to grow up and I'm very grateful for it. But so so back to this story real quick, and then we want to jump ahead before we run out of time to talk about what you do on a daily basis. But what was it about that man's gesture that you think created this cathartic effect for you? This, uh, this epiphany or paradigm shift or whatever it was that 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 occurred in your life because i think thousands of people have benefited now because of that man's one act of kindness oh isn't that a nice way nice thing to say um yeah i just thought okay i get it now you you're just here to help others you're just here to give to others who are in need and in pain because i was in real pain and look at the difference in my life that that a salesman made. That's not a psychologist. That's not a doctor. The doctors couldn't help me because I was, you know, pregnant. There was nothing anybody could do. And a salesman changed, saved my life. So I thought, well, I'm not a doctor or I'm not a lawyer, but maybe I can save one person's life or, you know, or make a difference. So I'll tell you what it did. I was so driven to help people in pain, particularly pregnant women at that time, that in a year, I raised a million dollars to open up a shelter that was needed in the community. And I drove those girls to the methadone clinic, you know, to get off of drugs. And I decorated their houses. And I was the first person to hand them the keys. And I just found my purpose. And I need to tell you about one business meeting. I I would be remiss if I didn't mention this. I I think that most of the time, I'm a very kind person. Kindness, I value very highly as a virtue. But when it comes to charity, I become ruthless. I become extremely bold. And I think it has to do with that cellular memory of almost dying. Mm. I, I actually feel the fear again these people are going to die without your help. And I start to get a, just very passionate. So I was in a banker's meeting and everybody's in a blue suit in those days on a high level overlooking the ocean and all the stuff. And I needed to get the down payment for the shelter because newborn babies were coming out of the hospital in Maine without the little caps that they needed on their head just to go to the car seat, okay? Right. And I had gone to the hospital with car seats for the babies, you know, and all this stuff. So I get in there and I get, I ask, I'd make the ask is what we call it in my profession. I make the ask and the lead banker, he says, no, we only make our decisions from January to March. And it's, you know, and we, we already have our charity of choice this year, maybe in a couple years, you know, we'll, we'll talk again. You can come back and have a, you know, presentation with us. And I was prepared, Patrick, I'll tell you what, I mean, I know you're not, maybe you won't believe this story, but I I was prepared and I walked into, I said, I'm going to do what I did to him. I kind of left the seat. I said, excuse me for one moment. 
And I, you know, so I took the no. I said, oh, okay, I understand. I took the no. And then I left my seat and I walked around the corner while I had a woman, one of my homeless girls with her newborn baby named Jason in her carriage. And I walked back into the banker's meeting with a baby, a homeless, newborn, about 10 week old baby. And I'm telling you, I'm ruthless. And I put the baby on the lead banker's lap. I started probably crying a little bit or tearing up. And I said, sir, I need your help. And boy, did that room change. Every Nobody could talk. Nobody could talk. And he just said, all right, that's it. And he threw the papers up and he said, I'm changing the rules. This is ridiculous. We're the biggest bank in this town. We need to help the shelter. These kids need a place to live. I just became a grandfather. I will not stand for this. And he said, give her $100,000. Give that woman $100,000 and you go buy that property now. And you put our name on it. You put the bank, helped you do it. And I went, thank you, sir. Thank you so much for saving all these babies and all these girls' lives. And that's what that's how I got started. What a great story, Regal. Um, you know, it's interesting. I was just talking the other night about um, I was at a um, chamber of commerce meeting. They had asked me to come speak, and it was a ribbon cutting for a, a friend. And afterwards, we were talking about and I can't remember how we got on the topic, but we were talking about missionary work and how I served a mission for my church in Italy for a couple of years. They were talking about how they've known several, you know, ES missionaries over the years and 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 what a great experience it was and, and how they seem to change. Missionaries who go and serve, I don't know, it doesn't matter what religion you are. If you do ministry work, it changes you almost on a cellular level. You come back a different person. Yeah. And then we talked about how, and I said, I believe this is why. I said, most of our life, we're focused on our job and our family and our career and or our schooling, and, and and when you serve, when you're whether as a missionary or it could be as a as a nonprofit development director or a volunteer, or you know you you look outward, you're focused on everything but yourself, and I think that's why most missionaries, at least for my church, will say it was the best two years of their life. You'll hear others just rave about their missionary experience in Africa or South America or Mexico or or whatever, and it's not only does it change you. And you come back differently, but I think it gets in your system and you want more of it. Oh, I, I'm so glad you brought that up. Right? It, it's, I'm so glad because I, my first boss was a minister. I have clients who are pastors. I tend to be drawn to this for some reason. And then when I met you, veteran owned, I love the fact that you served our nation in the army and then I loved that you were a missionary because my mentor that I told you about, she, I have to admit something else here, I guess, and be a little bit transparent. I grew up without any religion, religious training, none, mm -hmm. zero. I never celebrated Christmas till I was, I think, 32. I didn't, I never had Christmas. I never, there was no religious training at all. And so I'm kind of like a babe in that area. I'm kind of a seeker. And um, I, I had cultural traditions. Don't get me wrong. I had 
cultural, ethnic traditions, but I didn't have any religious training. I am a very spiritual person and I've kind of come to it on my own, which I think is actually more special because I've come to for it to be the truth by myself without anybody mm-hmm. telling me that it was the right. truth. Very right? genuine. Very, yeah, uh, it's really from my experience. my own knowing and my own experiences in life. And this is funny because I've always wanted to tell you this. When I was at work one day and I had visited an orphanage in Kosovo after the genocide in Kosovo, 1999, 2000. Yeah, I'd visited there and um, my boss, my mentor that I told you about at that shelter uh, who did international adoption, she said, you know, give this money to the orphanage and help them get going. And this little girl came running up to me and she said, mama, mama. And she came and ran into my arms and I thought I was going to die because I'm an old soul empath. And I thought I was going to have to take her home with me and they wouldn't let me. Um, and I fought for it, by the way, but they wouldn't let me. Um, so I came back home and my mentor said to me, Regal, you do realize that you're a missionary, right? You're spreading the message. You always do this. Wherever you go, whatever you do, you're a missionary. And I said, what is that? I'm, I'll admit it. I was in my late 20s. And I said, what is, I don't even know what that is. Because I'd never been inside of any kind of a church before. I didn't know what it was. So she said, well, it's what you do and it's who you are. The only difference is you're not particularly spreading a message of one particular religion, but you are spreading the same message. You are spreading. And I said, wow. I I mean, I learned something. That's why she's my mentor, you know? So I I, thank you for saying it because I didn't know that I was one. But I guess I act like one. <laughs> there's, a, there's a lot of different kinds of messengers, right? You know, I call you an advocate, which is a great yeah. description of you. And But your message was that if we serve others, we can make a difference. We can, we can make an impact. You know, we can change lives. And uh, we're up against our next break. But when we come back, I, sh- I want you to just share one or two examples of of other groups you've helped. I know the, 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 the refugees you've worked with and the children's choir. And I mean, you, you've had some really neat experiences. You just, you just had a great experience with the Patriots at Gillette stadium. And uh, so let's come back. Uh, it's time for our next break, but we're visiting with Regal Nassif. Uh, we'll be right back and we'll continue the conversation. If you're a nonprofit in need of funding, we can help. Certainty Management is a cost reduction firm that also helps churches, schools, sports teams, and other nonprofits raise unlimited zero cost funding. Best of all, you don't have to sell anything or ask for donations. Call 888 684 3122 to learn more today. That's 888 684 3122. Visit us on the web at certaintyteam.com. That's certainty. T-E-A-M, like Mary, dot com. Certainty Management can help create more certainty in your life with our deep discount health insurance options, even for 1099s, part-time employees, volunteers, and more. Pay less to protect yourself, your loved ones, and your team. Call 888-684-3122 for a free quote today. That's 888-684-3122. 
visit us on the web at CertaintyTeam.com. That's Certainty, T-E-A-M, like Mary, dot com. When it comes to business, you'll find the experts here. Voice America Business Network. You are listening to Finding Certainty with Patrick Lang. Have a question for Patrick or his guests? Join us on the show at 866-472-5790. That's 866-472-5790. Now, back to the show with Patrick. Thanks for staying with us, everybody. We really appreciate you taking the time to join us and uh, following along in this journey that we call Finding Certainty. You know, as we, uh, throughout our careers and our businesses, our, our our marriages, our parenting, we're all seeking that 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 goal in our lives, right? To have more certainty, to know who we are, where we're going, how we're going to get there. You know, we, we I think we, most of us want to make an impact. We want to leave a legacy, and uh, that's what this show is about. Uh, Regal Nassif, who's our guest today, is a great example of that. She's spent the last twenty five years helping nonprofits and and those in need to uh, get over the hump, right? To get to accomplish more and to be able to have a better quality of life. And uh, Regal, as as you and I have gotten to know each other, I just, I keep hearing more and more stories of of groups you've helped and and, uh, the, the, the kind of impact you've had. So do you mind just taking maybe 60 seconds each, because we still have a lot to cover, but Talk about your refugee work. Talk about the the the, the girls that you worked with that, that went insane. Uh, it was they had some pretty uh, pretty extraordinary uh, performances, and then maybe wrap up with your friends' work with the anti sex trafficking. I think that you should do a shout out because you just had a big win with her just uh, this last fall. So, yeah. mind uh, covering those three. Well, their successes are my only successes. It's their work and in, in the charity and the nonprofit world. By the way, the word fundraising is kind of a negative word. And philanthropy means love of human beings. And I would add animals to that. And um, it's, it's really about um, giving to others and all of that. And they do all the hard work in the social sector, we, we like to call it. But um, good point. The one, the one uh, client um, is, uh, his name is Con Fulham. He's a songwriter, producer, director, Emmy, award-winning, nominated, you know, all these great things. And he walked into my office one day about 15 years ago, and he was running on fumes. He wasn't getting any pay. He was just volunteering to help a group of um, mostly Central African and Middle Eastern refugee girls who had resettled. And he named the chorus Pisintu, which is a Passamaquoddy word that means when she sings, her voice carries far. Because they had really lost their voice coming from war-torn villages um, into, frankly, um, um, almost all white state, the state of Maine. And um, these were African girls. And so they had to go to school and fit in and, you know, they just get their voice back. And so um, he said, I'm running on fumes. That's all I can tell you. Well, so it's about 12 or 15 years later, and we've raised a half a million dollars together, and um, we do the work together, of course, and they were on the Today Show. Um, They sang in front of one of the presidents, 
They've been to the White House. They sing at the Kennedy Center for Performing Arts. They are the featured video on the United Nations High Commission for Refugees. Wow. You know, that's um, amazing. They just recently performed with Yo-Yo Ma and Bono gave them a standing from U2 band. He gave them a standing ovation um, next to the president of Ireland recently. That's um, fantastic. And and they are just it's just an amazing just been an amazing journey with him um, and with their chorus and their songs. So I know I know, Rigo, yeah. that you've done a great deal of work with refugees. That's if, you, if there's an area that's maybe your you know close to your heart uh you've you've fostered children you've you've worked with kids you have quote unquote adopted kids that you've given opportunities and, and helped them go to college and i mean that is a that's such an area of need there's a nonprofit here in vegas that i work with that's called lighthouse charities that does a lot of great work with refugees and i can't even imagine being uprooted from your land and dropped into a, a state where nobody looks like you and you you know you, you may not speak the language you've got to learn new customs and you're you're worried about getting deported i mean you know it's just, it's such a traumatic i think just a challenging experience and you and people like you are saying welcome let me help you this exactly. is a melting pot this is the land of the free we want to welcome you you're trying to come here and create a new life let us help you and you know i, I it just warms my heart Rigo, to, to know that there are those out there like yourself that are trying to help with that transition because it's so important i know there's a lot of political divide over immigration and and the protecting the borders and so forth but every time i drive through wyoming or somewhere or even nevada anywhere you drive through you see all this empty land you think we've got a lot of space here right we have a lot of opportunity a lot of resources why don't we open it up and make it possible for people to start over? Because people, good people, want to come oh, yeah. here and contribute. It's not all just criminals and and and, and reprobates, right? As much as the uh, the talking oh, heads no, might try this, to say this that. Is all, right? This is all legal immigration, of course, and this is all you know the enrichment. I mean, I get the best food. They come and they set up a restaurant and I get the best food. It's just incredible yeah. from, from Afghan or, you know, from Afghanistan or from, um, you know, uh, all the different countries that have come over. I mean, I just I just love what they bring and how they enrich the culture and the community. But um, I'll tell you what, it is an at-risk community and they tend to not like their parents can't really fill out an application after school. So they tend to not be able to be involved in after school activities and they tend to not graduate from high school. There's a very high dropout rate. So get this, the chorus for 15 years, 400 or 500 girls that are going through it, they have a 100% graduation rate. It is unheard of. Wow. It is unheard heard of it that is the impact of what um this this nonprofit did and how and i could support them you know um That's really so happy that i was able to do that and the other one was i was at a gala and i saw the story of a woman um who was um sex trafficked um from a young age mm -hmm. and she escaped it she got out of it um, with the grace of God in her eyes and her experience. 
And I just approached her and said, is there any way I can use my skills and abilities? I raise money for nonprofits. Can I help you? She wasn't getting any pay. And I said, I just want to donate my time because this is a really important um, thing that you're doing, preventing children from sexual exploitation, boys and girls, by the way. And, um, you know, one in five children have been sexually exploited. You learn a lot as a grant writer doing all this research. And it's just unacceptable to me. And I said, so on weekends, on weekends, I had a full-time job, but what can I do? Um, And she and I worked together and it was slow at first, you know, trying to kind of find the right, the right way. And one day I found out about the New England Patriots Foundation had a particular grant. Myra Kraft was one of the most generous women. Robert Kraft is the owner of the Patriots. She was just um, just an amazing woman in the New England region, what she did and the generosity there. And there was called the Myra Kraft MVP Community Service Award. Somebody volunteering to do something impactful. And I thought of my friend, the executive director of Stop Trafficking Us, Catherine Ann Wilson. I said, I'm nominating her. I was going to surprise her and not even tell her I was nominating her. But I think I might have said, I might need to check if I'm getting this all right, you know. But I filled it out. And sure enough, a couple months later, I get a phone call from the New England Patriots. And I'm crying and she's crying. And (laughs) she wins. She wins. And we literally had two, we like to call ourselves young, but two young gray-haired grandmothers driving to Gillette Stadium to meet Robert Kraft and an NFL Hall of Famer to be given a huge check on (laughs) on the stadium field, you know, and we're kind of looking at each other. Is this real? Is this really, did we, did this happen? And so we, she gets the check. And so that's money for her conference. But then she met with uh, a U.S. Senator. She was invited to the White House after that to be on a panel to prevent sex trafficking. And she then um, told me that she was uh, there was a federal earmark grant. And could I write that for her? And she won three hundred thousand dollars a couple months ago for every year. And I got to tell you, for a nonprofit leader who's been running on fumes, I keep saying that is an incredible gift to have sustainable funding for multiple years to do the work that you do. I wish Absolutely. that upon everyone. You know, it would take us uh, probably 10 more episodes to talk about all you've accomplished in the last 25 years, Regal. I mean, you were voted as the one of the 20 outstanding women in Maine. You've raised funds for the Stephen King Foundation. You've you know, you're now a part of American Club Association and, and and running their ACA CARES program, which is a national program for nonprofits. I mean, the list just goes on and on and on. And now you're working with us here at Certainty Management. And what is the saying that you have? That's really what 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 drew me to you about what your model is. I just love it. Well, I get I almost get choked up thinking about it. You know, what we realized, and we're running out of time, but we realized that we could do more than just make income. We could make a difference. We could do more than just do business. We could do good, right? I was talking with a group of uh, 
uh, entrepreneurs the other uh, last week or two weeks ago. And I said, we all want to make income, but we really want to make a difference. We want to leave a legacy. You have most certainly done that and you continue to do that. Now, through our work here at Certainty Management, you know, we can help nonprofits raise unlimited funding at zero cost to them, right? We don't even charge them for our work. Obviously, you get paid as a grant writer, which is a very specialized skill, but you also work with us in the ways that we can to help nonprofits raise funding. So anyone who's listening, if you know a nonprofit who needs funding, we know it's the number one need for most nonprofits. The more funding they have, the more good they can do. If you know them, send them our way. Look at the details in the episode description. Reach out to us. Reach out to Regal, and we can help. So, in the last minute, anything we let we we missed? Any any last parting thoughts? And then we've we've got oh, to wrap up. My favorite quote is Margaret Mead: "Never doubt that a small group of thoughtful, committed citizens can change the world. Indeed, it's the only thing that ever has." I love that. You know, a hundred years ago, Helen Keller, uh, even with her disabilities, being blind and and mute and deaf, right? Yep. She was still able to make a difference. So I don't think you you don't have the ability. Anyone can make a difference if they just try. I mean, you actually served in a similar role as she did a hundred years later, working in the blind with the blind community there in Maine. It's another great story. But again, we're out of time. But um, appreciate you listening today to Finding Certainty, guys. Share it with your friends. Tell others that we're here. Uh, we've got a great message. We have great guests. Regal, thanks for being here today. You're a great example of the quality of the guests we're having here on Finding Certainty and just a, a fantastic team member as part of our team. Just keep on keeping on. You're doing a great job and we're so proud of you. I think I'm the biggest fan of this show that there is. Every single week, <laughs> I call the person who is on the show, and I'm doing business with them, by the way. Every single week. I love them all. Wow. That's great. Thanks, guys. Have a great weekend and uh, enjoy. And uh, we'll see you next week. Take care. Thanks for tuning into today's episode of Finding Certainty. We hope you've gained some more insight into how to create more certainty in your own business or nonprofit. Join us next week for another taste of the certainty experience. Until then, we wish you greater certainty in all that you do.